That's for short people down there. Amen. <laughs> There's sometimes I, I am that low. You would have heard me really well. Did you ever get that low? Amen. Turn to Psalm 136. It's uh, good to be here. My wife and I, when we first became Christians, we had one church to go to, and it was outside of the city of Philadelphia. And there were many churches in Philly. Philadelphia was once a Bible belt. Industry came in. People rather worked than worship, and so the churches died off. A lot of churches that didn't die off said, let's go to the suburbs, and we'll still bust the kids out. And uh, they made excuses. They were able to buy suburb land cheap. So they went out and got this land cheap, built beautiful edifices, and about three or four years later, buses stopped coming into the city, and the city really turned to hell. It became a really a dark place. And one man came up out of the south, a guy named Les Griffin, and started Bethel Baptist Church in the worst part of the city, the white section, worst part of the white section of the city, called Kensington. And somehow, somewhere, it's a long story to how we got there, but I eventually come to pastor this church, and that church was only church, and so we wanted other churches, so in case people got mad at me, they go to another Baptist church, <clears throat> like they do down south. There's one on every corner. So we wanted to give him choices by God's grace. And 40 years, we only had one split. There were seven families left because we bought, uh, well, in the days of less, 27 families left because we bought a building they didn't like. And so uh, that building was just sold a few years ago for $1.5 million. And that was the only building that we could have done all our ministries in. There was not another building, not a, not a church building that was like the building that Les bought, that 20 cents. So that's why I went up back to Kensington, helped him out, and he abandoned me and left. And I've been the pastor ever since. But my burden was to start churches. I raised up some great men under me. God gave me some great students. And not that I'm a smart guy that can train students. They just seen all my mistakes and said, we're not going to do it this way. And then I would send them, and they don't want to leave, which was a good thing. I said to my son, you got to go. He says, oh, I don't want to go. I said to Joe White, you got to go. And to Eccles and to so many others, Sally and Izzy, Joe Basso, you got to go, you got to go. And they either took churches and got them restarted or they started their own works. And some of these restarts, it's really, it's, a, it's starting your own work. But we have many churches. I maybe there might be 18 to 20 now you can go to in Philadelphia that is going out door knocking. They're bringing children into the bus ministry into Sunday school. So pray for Philly. Philly's a dark place, and that's a great place for light to be. When we sold our building in Deep Fishtown, we moved up into a worse neighborhood, more worse than what we were in. And they said, "Are you nuts? No, I man. Our our building was supposed to be the new building we purchased was supposed to be a drug safety, uh, a safe drug house." Amen. Long story. Everything fell apart, and that building became onto the market. And uh, we, when we took the building over, there was needles all over our front steps, needles all over our pavement. Uh, you know, so every, I mean, even now we got to go out and sweep up. There's needles out there. That's that's our kind of people. There's only one direction for them to look. It's up, and, and we like you know we got the upper look, don't we? <laughs> we have the upper look. So you pray for Philly, pray for Bethel. Uh, right now, when my son took my pole, but I left the church for one reason, because our, our people in the inner city are they're suave, they're they're shrewds. They would pit me against him or him against me, and I don't want to be that. The, you know, look at your son. Look what he's doing. It's not like you, you know, or his wife's not like your wife. I said, we're leaving. We're not going to be able to do that to our son. And I went to my other son's church in South Philly. He's a pastor in South Philadelphia. And that was almost like a restart. 
that was left in shambles. And there's a lot of bad pastors out there that leave churches in shambles. In fact, your pastor came at a great time when this was in, in shambles. This is, this is Tom Bish's church. Started with the, some of the leftovers that they, they believe God had this in his plan. Some guy came along to maybe ruin it, but you stuck it through. God gave you the right man, the right pastor. <laughs> some of you don't know what that is, but some of you do. <laughs> soldier boy. Oh, my little soldier boy. All right. Psalm 136. We're going to talk about mercy this morning. Mercy. Is this not all right? Can I move this out of my way? Because I think I'm speaking in it. I'm like... Mercy. Anyway, uh, thank you. My son drove with me. He's a pastor at church, a nice size church. I mean, they're meeting right now, but he didn't want me to drive alone. My wife got sick. He said, you're not going alone. I got six sons. Get one of the other ones. I said, Dom's driving you, I heard. <laughs> anyway, he left his pulpit. He's got a lot of men in his church that could preach. And so he came up and to love me and to protect me. And it's so good to have your children have that kind of respect. Amen. And maybe fear, because the way I drive. <laughs> Dad, you're not getting there. You're either going to get killed or the state troopers are going to lock you up for speeding. So, uh, I, listen, I, for 30-something years of my life, I wasn't saved. I did everything an unsaved man does. When I came to Christianity, you'll see hints and tints of that, okay? But I am saved. I'm born again, all right? You'll see some of that old stuff, old songs. I got... When I'm preaching, some of the worst jokes come to my mind. You'll see me stop and freeze like, you know, you can't make this stuff up. There's got to be somebody else up here telling me that joke. You know, it's, it's, it's the preachers attacked, even in teaching and preaching. Pray for your pastor. Middle of a sermon, he could be being attacked. Things go through his mind. It's an amazing thing how that could happen. Because it's more than just the mind, it's spirit. There's a spirit here, and then there's a spirit of opposition and if he won't do it to me, he'll do it to you. And so let's make sure we're on guard. Let's be fertile soil. Let's receive the word of God. Amen. And we're going to talk on mercy. <laughs> the reason I, I like the word, I didn't, word, I didn't know what this word meant until I was in my 30s. I, had, I was a Catholic. I had the Sisters of Mercy watch over me. I was telling them Friday night, I thought they were German war soldiers hiding from, you know, <laughs> hiding from people, from war crimes. <laughs> I mean, they hit like men. They had mustaches and beards. I mean, they'll knock you in the next week, those nuns. They're sisters of mercy. And I'm telling you, I didn't know what the word mercy I didn't know mercy was to let you go because they never let me go. How'd you ever get this title? I mean, the most unmerciful people I ever met. And they beat you, and they say, I, I said, it wasn't me, sister. It wasn't me. So, well, she says it was something for maybe you got away with late. Yeah, that's not mercy. I get beaten for stuff that, you know, you didn't do. Anyway, but mercy is not giving a person due justice. And a lot of people think that's it. Uh-uh. Mercy always has a loss. Mercy, you just don't let someone go. There's a loss involved in mercy. And a lot of us are not willing to pay the loss. Amen? When someone loses mercy, excuse me, when you let someone loose, mercy is never free. In other words, someone owes you, say, $10,000, and you say, let's be merciful. Let's forgive that debt. You lost $10,000. Mercy cost you. And when God forgives us, it goes to his son's blood. Mercy has a price. 
Now, there was a time he suffered horribly to place that mercy seat, put that blood on that mercy seat for us. But there is a great cost for our sins. Even after we're saved, it still has got to look to the blood, look to Calvary. Mercy is not just letting you go. Someone has to endure the debt. If a judge don't want to fine you, most of the time the judge will pay the fine. He just can't break the law. Mercy has a price. Mercy of God is just not forgiving sin, but it's laying the transgression on someone else. Someone else has to bear that burden. And we're blessed to have Jesus Christ, everlasting mercy. Amen. The blood he put, whew, it endures forever, and it never loses its power. I, de I depend on it. I depend, depend on it this morning. Amen. I almost had to use it on the way here because of a driver. <laughs> Lord, have mercy on that guy because I'm going to kill him. Uh, anyway, so I want to speak to you about this. I want to speak to you about the prominence of mercy, the place of mercy, the practice of mercy. And there might be a few extra points if we have the time, but it's prominence. Now, Pastor Bishop prayed a great prayer. He prayed for our school, so I'm not going to repeat it. I don't think there's anything special more than... He already said that God would fill us with the Spirit, anoint us, and give us some words of wisdom. In Psalm 136, everything God does that's good for us is based on mercy. God cannot approach us unless mercy is there. He sees us through the blood. And if you look at just some of these verses, in every verse of this psalm, the word mercy is there. Oh, give thanks, verse 1, unto the Lord, for he's good. For his mercy endureth forever. And there's quite a few verses of giving thanks. Mercy is the best place to start when you want to say, thank, I want to thank you, God. Because everything you have and everything you are and everything where you're at and the health and the food and the everything you have is based on the mercy of God. God is merciful and it endures forever. Look at verse 7. To him that made the great lights for his mercy. I mean the sun, the moon, and the stars. Listen, you don't need a Bible to look for mercy when you read this psalm. You'll see it everywhere. You might be laying on your back one night saying, oh, God, I sinned, and you'll see the moon. You go, wait a minute. <laughs> the merciful God put that moon there, a reminder that that's mercy who gave us the great lights of the heaven, the stars to follow in our, in our lost condition. And so we have, and there's quite a few other. Look, look, just pick up verse 8. The sun that rules by day for his mercy and doth forever. You mean when I feel the sun on me, there's mercy? That's mercy that put that thing there? Wow, this is some good stuff. Look at verse 13. To him which divided the Red Sea and the parts for his mercy, delivered him out of Egypt by his mercy. That's why the Red Sea opened up because he's merciful. A bunch of bad Jews behind Moses, <laughs> but the mercy of God is able to do great things for bad people because he's a merciful God. He does not want to judge us for our sins. In fact, he says a person who loves us covers sins. If you love a man who loves covers sins, an enemy exposes sins. So he does great things to us based on his mercy. Now, this is Old Testament mercy. This is once a year mercy. We got an enduring Amen. Never-ending mercy. And now all that stuff got put up there in those days, right? Right before the creation. And if he put the sun there by mercy, then he must have knew man was going to fall, right? 
He said, let me give him sunlight. Let me give him rain. Let me give him, let me give him everything. Let me give him my son, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. His mercy endureth forever. Verse 16, to, to, to which he led his people through the wilderness. His, his mercy endureth forever. Verse 23, who remembered us in our lowest state for his mercy. God knows you when you're low. God sees you when you're low. He doesn't see you, how you got there and why you're there and why you're staying there. God's merciful. He's going to extend time for you. He's going to put you in a, and I call it to, in a state of grace. Amen. There's a grace state. God doesn't deal with us according to our sins. And he has mercy. He has mercy when he sees you in your lowest. And then we have it in, in 24, who hath redeemed us from our enemies, his mercy endureth forever. Who giveth food to all the flesh, his mercy endureth forever. Thank God for food. I know so many men who brag about uh, how much they, uh, uh, they work hard and they put money in the bank and, you know, and they got the great supply of everything. And uh, I said, that, that's God being merciful to you, man. Which God got to do with it? I work hard. Well, how about if you worked hard and, and you lived in a desert? You have no water. You have no grounds to grow anything. How much money? How much money? I bet you I could sell a gallon of water for $100,000 in the middle of a desert to a starving millionaire, amen, to a thirsty. Creation. I remember there were sugar shortages, gasoline shortages, coffee shortages, toilet paper shortage. You think it's just everything we take for granted. I have news for you. Uh, they used corn stalks back in the day, didn't they? The, the, uh, the, the, the papers on the corn stalks. Don't forget the corn when they were going out to the outhouse. I'm old enough to remember outhouses. We had one in my yard. My father said I was the boss of that. I was the, uh, in Italian, he said, you're the boss of the Bacaz, the back house, the Bacaz. Oh, Monique, you're the boss of the Bacaz. Grazie, I'm the boss of Thomas. He said, yeah, out there. <laughs> But, <laughs> oh boy. So we see the prominence of mercy. In Psalm 136, it's prominent. It is the beginning of every blessing. To prove it, turn to Hebrews 4. You'll see it here. Then I'll quote a couple of scriptures and we'll move on to the place of mercy. Hebrews chapter 4. And one of the greatest things I discovered as a born-again Christian was this wonderful wonderful plan that God had for me. You know, God's an orderly God. God does everything out of order. Let all things be done in order. God's that type of person. And when anything's out of order, I smell something. God's, God's a God of order. In the home, a lot of homes are out of order and they want God's blessing. God can't bless things out of order. Amen. And so chapter four, we'll see here verses 15. Well, actually, let's go back to 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Don't change, don't change this belief. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain what? And then grace, grace is never first. Mercy is. Amen. The cross, the grace for salvation starts at the cross. The mercy of God gives us, sets up the grace of God. And so I, when I was younger Christian, this is how I looked at this. Ding dong. So the ding dong became mercy, mercy, mercy. Come on in. I got all washed up, got honest with God. 
I called my sin biblical names. I didn't try to excuse them. I got real, real honest in front of God. And then I went in, and uh, after I went, ding, mercy, mercy, no mercy. <laughs> then Grace said, Grace. And I went in, he says, what can I do for you? Totally for nothing, but it has to be according to my will. you got to ask according to my will. It, you had to learn this in the Bible. What do you want done that you know about me? See, the more you know God's will, the more you better, the better you know, pray. Because I used to pray out of God's will, like kill this guy, remove him. You know what I mean? Break up their marriage. <laughs> like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> She's keeping him back from serving God. Get rid of her. Give him another one. Like, yeah, I'm only kidding. That's an extreme. So I went in and got mercy. And I always left with grace. You always leave with grace. But you got to go in facing your own self. You can't bring your wife to the throne. You can't bring your husband to the throne. You cannot bring your parents to the throne. You can't bring. This is a, this is a phone booth that only fits one. You. And you, these people might, I just mentioned, and employ, employers, they might be the cause of some of your grief, but you can't go in with them. you got to go in with yourself. And most of them were in a bad attitude. We have a bad response to these circumstances. So we need to go in and be honest. Dear God, uh, I'm under some grief. I'm just not handling like you want me to. Dear God, give me the grace to love these people, to be merciful like you are to me. A simple prayer, to be honest. God, I need 10 bucks, and God would send me 20. We need lunch for the kids for tomorrow, and God would send lunch for the kids for tomorrow. The church needs this. The church is having a problem. Father, I don't know what to do. I don't handle it. Give me the grace. How did I handle this problem? This is my way of handling, but I know it. I don't think it's according to Scripture. And God's merciful and gave me grace for that time of need. And it's only for the time of need. I've asked for grace for next week. <laughs> it's not time yet. And when next week come, everything, circumstances have all changed, and I don't need that grace. It would have been wasted grace. I was just, um, it was my fault because I got past today. I got into tomorrow. And it's sufficient of the days, the evil thereof. So if you're worried about tomorrow, there's no grace for tomorrow. When you get there, and by the way, 99% of our worries never happen. We borrow them. We get them from tomorrow. Or we get them from yesterday, which the blood takes care of. Tomorrow, God's got his own grace for tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Today's the day. Hey, it's a good day. We're here. You're alive. You're breathing. You're here. New baby just came. Someone to replace us when we leave. Amen. So we're here. Great day today. Amen. Great day. Prominence of mercy. It is the beginning of all your blessings. Mercy. And you walk in without Asking for mercy, you're really not walking in the light. Because if you walk in the light, as he's in the light, you need blood. And the blood of Jesus cleanses from all our unrighteousness, and we have fellowship with him and one with another. First John chapter 1, verse 7. Then he goes on to chapter 2. We, there's no chapter divisions. You know, it's a letter. And he says, these things have I written on you that you, that you sin not. Okay. Because as soon as you sin, you break fellowship with God and with each other. So you need mercy to stay in fellowship. Well, I just can't get along with that, brother. Well, go, go to the throne, get yourself washed up and cleaned, leave with the grace to get along with him, and then make star moves to be nice to him. You'd be surprised how, when you're nice to bad people, how niceness comes back. You've got to be good to bad people. Why? Because God's good to you, and you're not good. There's none good, no, not one. You're messed up. Well, I got a book, I got the blood, and I'm a Baptist. I know, that's, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. You still got you. Everybody would leave church on Sunday morning. I look, I go, wow, 
thank God I, I could be a good pastor now. God said, no, it's still, you're still in the building. You know what I mean? And so I used to blame my people for being a bad peace pastor. That was my response to that. See? Boy, if that couple wasn't in this church, Lord, this would be a great church. God said, if you would leave, it might be better. <laughs> Proverbs 16, don't turn there. Verse 6 says, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. By the way, that iniquity is good works. One of the greatest enemies of mercies is pride. The word iniquity, if you study out the scripture, it's it's. It's Cainism. I call it Cainism. It's good works. Say good works. And you don't want to get stuck into good works because when you get into good works, you go like Cain. Look who I am. Look what I've done. Ain't no mercy for there. So by, by, by truth, by iniquity, excuse me, by, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. But I, I want to get out of sin. I just don't want to have my, my iniquity, my good works. I don't want to be just humble. I want to be delivered. He said, well, by the fear of the Lord. You could be delivered from sin. You get forgiveness without deliverance. I had a guy, he says, he says, Pastor, I'm taking drugs, and I want to stop my drugs. I said, well, just confess it. He says, well, why am I going to confess it if I know I'm going to do it? I said, because one of these times you're going to stop. There's two prayers when you sin like that. Ask God to forgive you for your transgression, or damaging his temple, and then ask him to deliver you. And until he does, you're going to keep getting forgiveness. You just keep getting forgiveness till the day he delivers you. By the way, while he is delivering you and waiting, you keep getting forgiveness. You can still be used of God, but that keeps you in a humble state. Maybe if you get forgiven too quick or delivered too quick, you might be too prideful. So it keeps you humble. Maybe we need the school of humility. Maybe some of you are stuck in somewhere that you know you shouldn't be. You can't get out, but you can get confess and get clean. Well, I know I'm going to do it again. Don't worry about that. Let him take care of that. And maybe he's not delivering you because you're holding people's others' habits or sins against them. Bad thing to look at other people negatively. God turn you into tormentors and make you have addictions you can't get. I have a lady that smokes. She says, my son, when's he going to stop his drinking, his drugs? <laughs> I just want you to stop smoking. What, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, stop smoking. And I wanted her to try to stop smoking to see how hard it was. She was in a hospital with oxygen. She actually turned her oxygen off so she can have a smoke. Then I called her down a hall. I was turning the hall, and there she is. She's trying to put the cigarette in the ashtray without me saying it. She's got the pole. She's got the, uh, you know, the IV. <laughs> and then one day she broke down. She says, I'm put so much pressure on my son to stop something that I can't even stop. I says, your drug, it'll kill you slowly. His drugs might kill him quickly. But you know what? Now you know how he feels. It's not easy. And she got compassion for her son. Not only did he get off the of drugs, <laughs> when she got sweet and compassionate, she got off the of cigarettes, but he became a school administrator, Bethel Baptist Academy. He helped me start that school. Brilliant young man. Brilliant young man. But when his mother got compassion and stopped pressuring him, stopped praying for him, praying from her own point, I'm stuck. I'm loose both of us from deliver us. And uh, he was delivered. I mean, he's delivered. Wow. Good stuff. Matthew 5, verse 7, the prominence of it. If you don't forgive somebody, you're not merciful. God won't be merciful to you. When you pray to your father, the last couple verses of that, our father says, hey, if you don't forgive in your heart, your brothers and sisters, from your heart, neither will my father in heaven forgive you. 
It's the most prominent thing in the Bible to get blessed and to be merciful is to be, is to be even more mercy. But God will not be merciful to you. He'll turn you over to tremendous. So let's get the place of mercy. Amen. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, the place of mercy. Am I there? The other night I couldn't see my Bible. It was so dark. Next time I come, I'm bringing a flashlight if I do. <laughs> what I say, Exodus 25. This is a new Bible I'm breaking in. I lost two Bibles. I don't know where they're at. I think when I go to churches, I lay them down. Kids steal them. Thieves in the church robbing Bibles. I, I mean, Bethel Baptist Church, we don't just write Bibles. Listen, I had a grandson that died stillborn, and I laid him with his grandfather, and uh, we buried him there, and there was no tombstone. So my family and I got together. Let's get a tombstone for little Danny, for Danny boy, okay, so we can mark his grave and Uncle Pop Pop Frank. So we went back to, to, to assess, take pictures, and we were going to go get a tombstone, and there was a tombstone there. It was a big, big heart, and it says, Our Father. So I went to the cemetery director. I said, who was the kind gentleman that bought our grandson tombstone? He said, they stole it. <laughs> this is the kind of family my kids married into. <laughs> they stole it. They robbed it from about six graves over. One of the undertakers one day said, Larry. I said, what did he say? See that grave over there? It was, used to be there. And it's still there. I was just here the other day to do a funeral, and it's still there. Our father. I'm embarrassed. You know, so I just put a text out to my family. We have a thing called the family chat, the, the Penichetti clan. And there's like 29 or 30 on that list. So I said, we need to get a tombstone. We need to fix that grave up. Let's return that thing to its rightful owner. <laughs> Amen. We don't mess around, man. We take, whew. Exodus chapter 25. I only have a couple minutes. If I only got through this point, this would be my greatest point. All right. But in Exodus chapter 25, in verse 21, he goes on to say, And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Chapter 26, verse 34. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Turn to Psalm 36, 5. Remember that, what I just said, what the scripture just said. This is a class, right? We're studying. I have a hard time doing classes because I turn up, I wind up preaching in most of the Bible Institute classes. Chapter 36, verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. You can mark next to the word faithfulness is the word of God. The word testimony back in Exodus was the word of God. The testimony, Mosaic law, copy of the tablets, the Ten Commandments, excuse me, was placed into the ark. And where did God put mercy? Above the ark. God's mercy overrides the truth. When you transgress God, there's a place you can go to called mercy. And God stuck it in the Old Testament in order. In Psalm 36, David realizes your, 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 your faithfulness is to the clouds. That's the word of God. And your mercy is into the heavens. It's a picture of the ark. The place of mercy is higher than truth. That's why Proverbs goes on to say in verse 3, I think chapter 3, verse 3, bind mercy and truth around your neck. Don't let them get away from you because every time you open the truth, 
you need mercy. You cannot have truth without mercy. You try to get truth without mercy, you're going to be so convicted, so depressed, you're going to close the book and not read it. Just stop serving God in church because of your own sin. You can't have truth will kill you, but mercy will raise you back up. The place of mercy. I have two minutes, seven minutes. There's a whole lot more here, but let's go on. I had dog tags made with Proverbs 3.3 on. I still got my dog tag. I gave it to a bunch of our seniors that year that were graduating. I gave them a little gift. They gave them dog tags. <laughs> Bind mercy and truth around thy neck. Let them not forsake thee. And I figured that out one day. That's, that's the tabernacle. That's truth, the law. And God says, my mercy is above it. David said, it's in the clouds. My mercy is in the heavens. It's above it. There's nothing God cannot forgive. The only thing is when you blaspheme his forgiveness, when you mock his forgiveness. And what does that pride? Cainism. Cain didn't realize the blood of that lamb, how, how valuable that was. Abel did. And by the way, it's never changed. The book of Jude brings up Cain and Abel. Brings up Cain. Korah, Cain, and Balaam, three prominent religious organizations in our planet today. You've got to study that out. That's another class. The place of mercy. I said the prominence, the place, and now the practice of mercy. Psalm 23, turn there, and I'll end with this. 45, right? 1045? I'll end with this. Psalm 23. You know what this, we don't even have to turn here, do we? Psalm 23, it says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Verse 6. And surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that what that says? One day, the whole God will hold of my heart, the word follow. I made a big stink about the word follow in my heart. I get words like that, and then I study them out. Follow, 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 follow. So for, for mercy to follow you has to be behind you. And I was always under the influence and instruction that the Yom Kippur of the Jewish nation, they, they had a whole year of sin, and they went to Yom Kippur to get those sins covered, and they started a brand new year with no sin. But if you imagine you have sinned two days after Yom Kippur, the day of covering, you got a whole year to wait to get forgiven. If that blood was only good for that year, then how about this year? Now I got all these months to live, and the Catholic Church was that way. While I went on Saturday, and blessed be Father, for I have sinned, you know, last my confession was, and this is what I did. And Monday, I did the same thing. I had to wait till Saturday. See? God is merciful. And let me tell you what this is. He put the blood on for the year to come. On Yom Kippur, he said, here's some blood. It'll cover this whole year's sins. Go. And they looked back the whole year to get forgiven for that day. I sinned. Oh, God. I sinned. Oh, God. 2,000 years ago, God put blood on the altar that's not repeated anymore. It's one and done. One sacrifice forever. The blood's there. It's behind you. It's not the one. Guess what I did? Well, guess what millions and millions of people did before you? Ten times worse. If that blood can forgive all these generations, ah, I'm a cinch. I'm a bad man. But I got faith in the mercy of God. And therefore, I can get the grace of God. And the same Paul says, hey, man, I am what I am, and I've done what I've done by the grace of God. And because I got the grace, I labored more abundantly. We don't labor because we get good. We labor because we have good. Amen. We got mercy and grace. It's some good stuff. So I look behind me. I go boldly to the throne of grace that I can obtain mercy. It's there. 
It was placed there 2,000 years ago. I'm washed in the blood. Amen. Would you do service for the king today? Yes. I'm washed in the blood. I can do service for the king. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28.13 for self. Just put that down. Proverbs 28.13, the practice of mercy for yourself. 24, 21 to 23 for others. It says when you're not a merciful man, you start to you, you use your own wisdom and you get into more trouble. Mercy is the best way to end any argument and any, any neighbor problems, any church problems, because if you're not merciful, things get worse. And let me tell you the worst. You will, you will get sick. You will get sick. You can't be an unforgiving person. To know to forgive or to know to do what's right, not to do it, and see the word sin, it's not sins, it's sin, it's singular, it's flesh. All right, there's a whole lot more. I'll just close with this one thing. I had a lady named Doris Fonts, Pastor Panichetti, I just can't get saved. I don't think I'm saved. <laughs> Neither do I. <gasps> really? Why would you say that? <laughs> I have people tell me that. They don't think they're saved. I agree with them. Then they get mad at me because I agree with them. All right, then you are saved. Well, no, I don't think I am. Well, then why do you think I think you are? She was a bitter woman, carried a 38, stub nose 38. She was a tough, tough girl. And she says, because I can't forgive my sister-in-law who killed my brother, shot my brother six times, hit him five times in the chest with a stub nose 38. And the parole board keeps asking me to, uh, to let her go, write letters, let her go. And uh, I says, Mrs. Fawns, it's a tough situation, but you got to forgive. I said, when was the last time you talked to your sister-in-law? Forgive me, I forgot my handkerchief back at the hotel room. I'm using paper towels. Nonetheless, anyway, one day, gloriously, she comes to my office and says, she got a glow about her. You could smell the Holy Spirit. Doris, she says, I've been writing to my sister-in-law about mercy. And she says, I told my sister-in-law I wanted to give to her what God's offering to me, complete exoneration, complete forgiveness. And my sister-in-law wrote to me why she did that. My brother was beating her halfway to death many different times. And he came home in one of those drunken rages, and he started to beat her again. This time she was prepared. She had a loaded 38. She said, I shot your brother. She said, I did it out of self-defense, you know. And they locked me up. I got, she got like, I think, 12 and a half to 20 years. And uh, so she wrote to the parole board and letters, and she had to go to meetings. And within a few months, that girl was out of jail. They only wouldn't let her go because her opposition of the parole board. You can't parole her. You can't parole her. I don't know how many years prior to this was, but she was still in jail. I guess it might have been six or seven years. And Doris freed her. She, first place she came when she got out of jail was Doris's house, hugging and kissing. She had gotten saved in jail. Doris got saved because she was able to let it go. She says, God's merciful to me. I says, he can't be merciful to you, Doris, to you merciful. It says it in Matthew 5, 7, God's good to the merciful. He's merciful to the merciful. And so she, 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 she died in our church, got buried, graduated to heaven in our church, but she was a nutcase. She put her hand in that handbag and said, Doris, don't you even think about it. And she'd sit up front, somebody would be causing trouble. Doris, don't you even think about it. She became like my bodyguard. Anybody mess with you, Pastor, they mess with me. All right, Doris, we got a few like that. I used to have a saying where Bethel, where the, Bethel, where the men are men and so are the women. I said, 
If I ever got in a fight, I said, I want my women around me. But my women, they could fight. My women had beards, mustaches, I mean, sideburns. <laughs> my women were tough. They were, they were single moms. They raised their kids. They fought in the streets. I mean, my women were tough. But you know, these tough women became merciful women. And they were challenged outside in our church to fight many a times, and they didn't fight. I mean, they were merciful to those big, crazy neighbors. That's another story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Hide it in our hearts. Lord, help us to, Lord, practice this.